Oh my goodness, am I ever excited for today's show. I got to speak with Dr. Cheryl Fraser, who is a Buddhist psychologist, sex therapist, author, and speaker. As an awarded Fulbright scholar and in her clinical practice, Dr. Cheryl has conducted research on sexual behavior and what causes love relationships to succeed or fail. So I first met Dr. Cheryl at a conference where they brought her in to talk about healthy relationships. So I remember halfway through her session, I looked around the room and all these people who had spent the whole conference, like, you know, wearing their blazers so fucking hard and business carding all over the place were suddenly just getting so raw and honest about pleasure and what drives them freaking crazy about their partners. It was astonishing how quickly Cheryl got the whole room to just crack open about something so personal, but you are not going to be surprised when you hear how down to earth and funny she is. If you have ever wondered how to keep the passion alive in a long-term relationship, you are going to want to turn this up. Breaking news. Your dream life isn't going to happen because you made a vision board. You're going to need goals, grit, and some woo-woo shit. This podcast is about getting clarity on what you want, having the grit to do the actual work, and most importantly, constantly training your brain to be your bitch. Ready to be inspired? Here is your host, best-selling author, Una Duncan. Dr. Cheryl Fraser, thank you so much for being here today. I am really psyched to talk to your wonderful audience and also to soak up some of your knowledge, my dear. Oh, awesome. Okay. First, I'm going to put you on the spot and ask you to tell us a little bit about your personal journey. So you originally were on kind of on a spiritual mission, and you thought that there was a conflict between being spiritual and happy in yourself and also being in a relationship. Why did you think there was that conflict? Because when I was in a romantic relationship, I was a crazy bitch. That's why <laughs> my mind states would be crazy. I don't mean all the time, but you know, uh, to, to cut to the chase, I'm also a Buddhist teacher. So I'm a sex therapist, a psychologist and a Buddhist teacher. And I observed in my romantic relationships that that's where I would have, you know, more wild mood swings and, you know, our childhood stuff gets projected on our partner and we can become crazy people, even if we're relatively sane anywhere else, but in our romantic relationship. So I, I was also more and more deeply studying Buddhism and I did some three month retreats, four month retreats. And I'm talking hardcore people hear retreat Una and they think, Oh, you get to eat grapes in a hammock and do yoga. Mike, those are my retreats. Kind of retreats. No, those are not mine. I, I love those ones. Like, yeah. like big shout out to those ones. No, these are in a cabin in Ontario in the winter with no power, chopping wood, carrying water, in complete isolation, zero contact with the world for three months and meditating 12 hours a day. No grapes, Ooh. no hammock. So wow, that's hardcore. It was hardcore. It is hardcore. Yeah. I love it though, because it really brings you up close and personal with your demons and your desires. So combine those two things. Um, I came to an incorrect conclusion at the time that I needed to do one or the other that I needed to like deeply commit to the spiritual path. I even thought about taking robes and being a nun, which is kind of freaking hilarious for a sex therapist. Now I'm a nun, but you know, makes for good press, I guess. Anyway. Um, and I came to the conclusion that I wanted to devote my life more to meditation. I teach meditation and I teach Buddhist retreats and really kind of the path of awakening your mind. And it really was part of, I was kind of crazy in relationships. So ironically at the time I made my living as a sex and love expert. 
I had a full-time radio show giving sex and love advice in Vancouver. Uh, I had workshops I taught to couples and I was helping couples create the very thing I wasn't managing to create well in my own romantic relationship. So I felt like kind of a fraud in my 40s because I was single by choice, but single by choice and helping other people create great relationships. And then it all came to a head. Literally, it is such a, I don't know, hallmark moment or something, whatever the spiritual equivalent of hallmark moment is. I was on a mountaintop in India at a Tibetan retreat with teachers. And I really, really, really had to pee. And the bathroom was down, like felt like 400 stairs, this rickety staircase next to a pig. And I'm standing there going, what the F am I doing here with my mind? And all I can think about is the guy I had met on a blind date a month before. (laughs) And I met him on a blind date because I was, I'm not proud of this. I was more or less using him because I was hired. I'm also a writer. I was hired by a magazine. She wanted me to write an article on online dating for women in their 40s. This is 10 years ago. So at that time, the apps weren't quite out yet. We're talking your match.com, your eHarmony, your plenty of fish. So I'm like, all right, I can do this. But she said, well, you have to go on some dates. I'm like, no, I do not. And she's like, yes, you do. So I met my now husband, that guy I couldn't stop thinking about in India that I had met four weeks before. Uh, I met him on a blind date because I decided I'd go on five blind dates to check out each app or each you know site, see kind of the quality, what people were looking for, hookups or long-term. And he was number four of five. I met him for breakfast because I figured in out 30 minutes, right? Have some yeah. eggs, say hi, drink a cup of tea. I'm out of here. Well, four hours later, we're walking on the beach in Victoria and the meaning of life. And I had to go because date number five was at lunch. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm back in India and I'm like, okay, it's about the spirit, which it is. It's about awakening. I can define that if you like from a Buddhist perspective. It's about really the large, big things. And I'm standing there saying, and I'm thinking about this guy. And all I want to do is go to the email cafe. It was kind of before that was easily accessible in India a decade ago. And I just want to email this guy and send him super hot stuff on email. And then I had a bit of an aha moment that was like, wait, what is this dichotomy you've created in your head? A dualistic thought, which is I need to either be a deeply spiritual, hardcore Buddhist of all time. I'm partly teasing, but partly not. Or I'm in secular life, regular life, layperson life with a partner, with a career. Who sends hot and emails? Super hot. Oh my God. <laughs> anyway, that's 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 for you and me and a cup of tea or a glass of wine. <laughs> or not. I, I'm open. I can talk about the hot emails. So ironically, and you may well know this, in a lot of wonderful spiritual traditions, and certainly in Buddha Dharma, there isn't a duality. Like saying something is this and it's good, and something is this, and it's bad, is a lack of understanding of reality, which is things arise and pass, and they are good depending how we interrelate with them. And they are unwholesome, because they don't really use the word bad, unwholesome, depending how we interrelate to them. So (laughs) with the bursting bladder and the pig and all the things, it was like, bing, maybe I can do both. Maybe I can be a deeply committed Buddhist practitioner. And kind of bonk the brains out of this really handsome guy and then ac- accidentally marry him a few years later. And here we are 10 years in. So wow. I don't know if that's a cautionary tale, a hopeful tale, or it just paints me in a bad light. That's for the listener to discern. 
I love it. Thank you for all the details with the pig. I was right there on the mountain with you. I loved it. And the bursting bladder. It was so good. Oh, my um, Lord. So, Cheryl, is that what you do right now? You help people. Do you help mostly Buddhists in their relationship or anyone in their relationship and just have this sort of deeper spiritual spin on it? You know, what I do is I help couples, um, mainly couples in long-term relationship. And I define that simply as more than a few years together, because after the flush of falling in love, like all the hot and horny at the beginning of our relationship, and we were 48 and 49, we weren't spring chickens, but we had, of course, all the lust and the passion and the fun. Falling in love is a biochemical reaction. It has very little to do with reality. There's some great research to show that the uh, um, functional MRI scans of people who are falling in love mimic those of people with obsessive compulsive disorder. So we literally are crazy in love, right? We can't stop thinking about her, him, they. We can't stop fantasizing. We're so motivated. It's so freaking easy. Do you remember, Una? Do you remember? Oh, the beginnings yeah. with your guy? Oh, totally. Like obsessed. Totally. I didn't need to sleep, didn't need to eat, just no. walking on air. Oh, Yeah. Sex three times a day, sometimes UTIs, but you know, you got to take the good with the bad. I'm just keeping it real. Um, but how easy it was to create special occasions to want to dazzle him. He dazzled you, the romance, the effort, planning our days, our weeks, standing on our heads metaphorically, although I guess that's a sexual position too, uh, to have time together. And then fast forward a few years, right? I call it, we end up in marriage incorporated or relationship incorporated, which is where we're running our family. I believe you've got a couple kids, you know, life, mortgage, the dog needs their toenails clips, all the things happen. And people end up as hopefully buddies and quite liking each other, but not like, where's all that passion, fun and thrill. So I work with couples who want to rebuild what I call the passion triangle. We can talk about that if you like the three main keys, but so generally I get long-term couples. I have an immersion 10 week, uh, 12 week now, online program where there's a curriculum and I teach live every week. I answer people's questions for them. And I've been doing that now for four years and I'm currently running my seventh group of couples. And it's unbelievable the bravery of the work of these people. I mean, you know, people come to me post-affair. They come to me um, having fought like ugly, nasty arguing it like I'm their last chance with this program. Excuse me, because I don't fix anybody, but the program is their last chance. And I get people that are, we're fine. Like it's the phrase, I love them, dot, 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 but I'm not really in love with them anymore. That's what I want to ask you about. There's a quote that you wrote here. You write, you love your sweetheart, you feel affection for them, you raise the kids well, you have a good time on your annual vacation, things are fine. But fine mm. is not passionate. And as a mm -hmm. sex and relationship psychologist, I'm here to tell you that fine is not enough. And so I want to ask you, is it not enough? Like, is fine a sign that things are going downhill or just that they're not optimal, that they could be better? It's a really fair question, right? Because I don't want to dis healthy fine, which that quote describes a pretty healthy relationship. But really, if we're choosing monogamy, then if we're not attending to our sexual life, our sensual life with our partner, if we're lazy, if we're complacent, we're missing out on a small part of life that has tremendous return on investment for our connection with our honey, just that special something above and beyond the sexual act itself. And if we're fine and we like vacation and we're great with our kids and we're a happy family, kind of a 80s sitcom, you know, happy family. Right. Um, we're probably not romancing each other very much, surprising each other very much. So I think 
I don't want to, like a lot of people getting to fine would be an amazing progress. So I want to say that quite baldly. But if you're fine or you're not willing to settle for fine, and I don't want anybody to be, I want people to say, our romantic relationship is one of the most important predictors, according to research. I'm a hardcore scientist as well. According to research, one of the biggest predictors of literally longevity, we live longer if we have a healthy interpersonal relationship with a loved person, uh, with, with health, blood pressure, happiness, quality of life, life satisfaction. Do you want a fine life, Una, or do you want an exceptional one, right? Mm, so mm. go for fine. Fine might be quite a high bar right now for a lot of people listening, but fine isn't enough. And it's really like the special sauce to find. Let's add in more romance, more surprise, more adoration, more thoughtfulness and intentionality. I often say, make your love life a priority, make love intentional, like fitness or your job. Like if we want to improve, we have to take effort. I do not know. I know you're really good at what you do, but I'm not entirely sure. You can help me get healthier and more fit if I don't take any action. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can tell you right now, I cannot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bummer. Bummer. Yeah, or you'd be yeah, a I know. mega Sorry. billionaire, right? <laughs> like forget about the Tesla dude. You'd be it. You'd be, a, you'd be you'd be the one. So no, fine's not enough if you want to reach for something exceptional. And let me say, I'm a realist. I'm not a I don't know, Pollyanna, silly person. Oh, just do these three things and you'll have a great sex life. You know, bah humbug. But but it is extraordinary what couples have taught me over the last decades about the possibility of redemption when you're in a really horrible place in your relationship, about the possibility of forgiveness, and about the possibility of moving from having a pretty crap relationship to really a lot of appreciation and love and connection and delight. And to me, that's a life mission for me and my sweetheart. We fall down, we blow it, but we're pretty much always on some variation of a learning curve to try to be exceptional together and more importantly for each other. Like being a great partner instead of if only my person would, if they'd mm -hmm. only do this. Now that's valid too. I don't mean to to diss the pain behind that, that longing. But I also work a lot with the couples in my program to say, would you date you the way you are now? Oh, that's mm. such a good question. And that's actually what mm. I wanted to ask you about next. But first, can I just um, point something out, Cheryl? I really appreciated how you said how, what couples have taught me about the possibility of redemption, except rather than you saying, well, this is what I teach everyone. I just wanted to point yeah. that out. But I loved your humility in that, in that saying there. Well, thank you. I work with geniuses that don't know they're geniuses. And I've got a couple of my current group right now. And he'd been writing for months saying, my wife won't have sex with me. And I'm just fed up and nothing works. And uh, we're like, okay, you might want to consider the program. Here's some advice. Here's some podcasts to go look at. And I did a free Zoom before the program. And he jumped on. And he's like, my wife brings the car home and it's always dirty. And then we find out they've got three kids and she's doing all the things. And I'm like, dude, you know what you could do is quit worrying about the car. And he's like, like, okay, I kind of like you. You're a straight shooter. Fast forward, they join the program. Fast forward, I'm getting these, they send their questions to me confidentially and I answer them, not on Zoom because no one really wants to share this on Zoom. It's a different platform I use. And I said, look, I'm hearing from your wife. She's saying, every time I try to talk to him about anything, he gets super angry and calls a timeout. I've taught them the timeout technique, but he's using it as a weapon to shut down any difficult conversation. And then I'm getting from him, I have to call a timeout every day because she's so unreasonable. 
So I'm like, okay, you two, you want to come on camera with me, which I've never done before in that program. Generally, people want to be anonymous. And they came on camera. I took them through this deep talking, listening exercise. And he said, well, I just need you to know I'm not going to have much to say. I'm kind of a guy of few words. I'm a regular blue collar guy. I said, no problem, buddy. I got your back. And then he talked about, I tried to talk to her and then we don't talk for a few days. And he stopped. I said, well, what's it like for you when you don't talk for a few days? And he thought, and he said, well, it's terrible. He says, I worry about it on my way to work. I'm sick at work. I worry about it on the way home. She seems fine because she's chatting with her friends and doing going to work. She seems fine. I don't even think it bothers her. He's the genius. When I helped him just look at that, his wife's like, I had no idea he even cared about it. So the point is, it's also what they teach me with their bravery and their openness and their willingness. And they are like just rocking, changing their really unhealthy dynamic. They've been together something like 15 years and they say they've been fighting since the beginning. They've never been able to communicate about tough stuff and they're in the trenches doing this work and learning to communicate. So yeah, I appreciate your appreciation that we know we can point people towards their ability and then we watch them, those that take the challenges you offer your clients and I offer mine and those that actually do the work, maybe not perfectly, maybe they fall off the wagon. But when we watch people do the work we've spent our lives designing and get results, it makes me cry every time. Totally. It does. Totally. It moves my yeah. heart. Doesn't it you? I mean, when you see yeah, someone it. who did love not it. think, who've tried everything and then they join your program and say, this is the time I actually got some results for my effort. Yeah. Yeah. I have a yeah. mentor who says it's not what's taught, it's what's caught. And then sometimes, oh. isn't that good? And I think, yeah. oh, look what you caught. You're so amazing. No, it's so true. Um, okay. Now I want to bring you back to something amazing that you just said about, would you be passionate about you right now? Did I get that mm. right? Did I tell me what would you, you said? Would you date and then you tell right us, now? Would you yeah. date you right now? Tell us the way you are right now. Right, right. Tell us why passion is an inside job. Hey, dude, if you are enjoying this episode and you have a friend that you think might also benefit from this information, please share it with them. That helps my podcast so much and it's going to help your friend. Share the love. Thanks so much. Oh, baby, I love it. Well, <laughs> see if this sounds familiar to anybody listening. I'm sure not to you or I, I say tongue firmly in cheek. I just wish my partner was more passionate. My partner just doesn't try. You know, they just don't take me out. They don't make me feel handsome, virile, beautiful, perfect. I don't know. They just, they don't make any effort. It's like they don't even care. Now, I have those feelings and they're really bloody painful. So again, I am not shaming or blaming or casting aspersions on those very true feelings of regret, of loneliness, of longing. But who are you being as a partner these days? Are you romancing your partner? And I can hear the objection right away and it's a valid one, which is, but I generally am better at that than them. And I want them to bring it to me. It's like, okay, but let's work on you softening them up, lighting them up, planning a date that your partner would love, and maybe helping them have a felt experience of it felt really good to hang out with you doing something super fun. And now I can more see the value in me trying harder to do that. So if we bring that back, honestly, 
Do you get up and run to the door and greet your partner when they get home if you're home first the way you used to when you were dating? Mm. Mm. Even I don't. <laughs> I call it the dog thrill exercise and everybody can think ahead to what I'm about to say, yeah. right? When you get home, the dog freaking freaks out, you know? No matter what, my office is a separate suite up from my home. It's 10 steps from to my work. Sometimes I forget something. I run back downstairs. I've been gone 90 seconds. The dog loses her mind, yeah. loses her mind that I exist, that I'm home, <laughs> that I'm the best thing in the entire universe. Yeah. So I actually make my couples... They love me for it. <clears throat> I make them do an exercise where they literally act like a Labrador retriever, insert your favorite breed here, when their partner comes home. Just to shake up how bloody complacent we got, where we're in the living room on our laptop or watching something, and we hear the door, and we're like, hey, hey. Did you remember the dish soap? Oh, you forgot it Oh, again. my Lord. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Instead of getting your lazy ass off the couch, plus that burns calories, right, sister? And walking or trotting to the door and going, hey, babe, kiss and a hug, high five, how was your day? So that's what I mean is, would you date you? Like, who are you being? Who are you being day to day in the midst of real life, in the midst of all of the incredible obligations we have? Do not tell me you don't have a minute to go to the door and greet your partner like they really matter. Mm -hmm. it, this reminds me of a story you tell in the book with about Stephen and Jolene. So Stephen felt like Jolene never asked about his day, never showed him any affection. And Jolene was a little grossed out by Stephen's neediness. Yeah. And so you coached Stephen to turn his get, like I need to get more from you, into a give. And yeah. is this an example of what you're saying? If you want more Bingo. passion, you need to be more passionate, even if you think you're the one that's that's uh, getting less. Yeah. And let's also contextualize the word passionate here, because a lot of people hear that and think sexual passion. And that's not the way I teach it. That's absolutely one of the three parts. I call them intimacy, thrill, and sensuality. Intimacy is more communication, conflict resolution, knowing your hopes and dreams, having your back. Thrill is what we're talking about now, like the romancing and taking effort and jumping off your butt and going to greet your partner the way you used to. And sensuality is all things sensual, sexual, and erotic. But when we're in a get place, we're hurting, first of all, and it is a quality of selfishness that is very natural. I do it too. But if we can take on as a challenge. Right now, I'm needing something. What can I give? It, this is pretty high-level teaching, which I know you know, which is really, ultimately, the happiness is an inside job. Ultimately, the only mind you can change is your own. And you may have partnered with someone who just, frankly, is really, really poor at being a planner, romancing things, et cetera. So there's hacks. I mean, you can buy a great date, date night book and give it to them and say, hey, babe, once a, once a month, flip this open randomly and take me on whatever dates in that book. You don't have to be the most creative person, but the effort, my goodness, the feedback I get around how lit up people feel when their partner just makes an effort. But it's not that easy because also I work with a lot of couples where let's say um, you're my partner, Una, and I feel you're never romantic. You don't try. And I've got to bring quite a lot of complaining and criticism about it and a lot of, yeah, well, you don't even try. And so you try, right? You come up with something and you say, okay, I've planned a date for us. I'm like, yay, babe. And you say, we're going to go do X. And I go, oh, I don't really want to do that. That's not what I meant. And you see the soul just wither. 
right? So we also need to teach people to say, accept what's given, even if it's a little disappointing. This isn't the time. It's just say, thanks for the effort, babe. It's basic. I'm a psychologist by training, right? And a scientist. It's called positive reinforcement. You want people to do something. You want your dog to do something. Give them a dog biscuit when they exhibit the behavior you like. So if your partner does something, even if it was a little left to center, go, that was wonderful. Thank you. I'm so lit up. I, I just appreciate this so much. And they're more likely to keep doing it. Yes. Just saying. I, I mean, this is about, this reminded me of parenting. If I want my sons to do the chores, then even if they do the shittiest job ever, I've got to be like, good for <laughs> yeah. you. I love yeah, that. Yeah. Totally. So great. And that was so great of you. I so appreciate it. Well done, bud. Yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. So um, I want to take you back to you saying that the only happiness we can ever have is, is in our own mind. And I, I love this quote from the book. You say, it is possible to be happy, even if your partner is picking his toenails while watching Game <laughs> of Thrones. <laughs> please yeah, just please tell it. us how to be happy in that moment. <laughs> tell us about that. <laughs> you can look at your sweetheart and think, this behavior drives me crazy. I am so blessed to have this infuriating person in my life. And we can take it a little dark now and say, we don't know when the wake up call is going to come. We don't know when our person's going to be hit by lightning or killed in a car accident. We don't know when that doctor call is going to change our lives forever. And no, we can't live in that sort of worry all the time and every minute, you know, worship at our partner's feet because one day they won't be here. But that critical mind, I mean, I don't know about you because you're probably perfect, but mm -hmm. I have a few yeah. quirks. I have a few flaws. I have a few things that might make me a pretty difficult person to be in relationship. And when our mind is like, oh, it's driving me crazy about small stuff, even big stuff, the happiness lives in the mind. And, you know, we can do a whole episode on that. I just taught a three-day meditation retreat um, four days ago on working with your mind. And when your mind's unhappy, looking at the story the mind is making up. And in the couple's realm, I teach this very simply, which is I get them to do a storytelling technique. Can I describe it real quick? Because yes, your please. listeners can actually apply this in, your, in their life. So I'll use an example. Let's say you're driving Una and you're kind of tootling along, doing the speed limit, more or less. And a little red car comes like weaving out of traffic and it cuts in so close to you. It makes you swerve. And you probably, if you're me, you say a lot of F-bombs and shake your hand and damn you, you idiot driver, what are you doing? But then you notice that on the back of the bumper, there's this huge sign that says organ donation delivery, you know, rushing to save a child. You rewrite your story automatically. You have new data to add to the data of red car going too fast, weaving, doing some pretty sketchy moves. The first story is what an idiot, that was dangerous, condemn them. When you get that new piece of data, you go, go little red car, go. Like, look at that hero. Look at them rushing that heart or kidney to save a child's life at children's hospital. So I get people to do that with their sweetheart. So let's say your partner sucks at celebrating your birthday. And it's been a real pain point. You've brought it up. You've had reasonable conversations. You've explained why it's important. Your family sucked at birthdays and it's a pain point for you. And they still do a pretty crap job this year. I ask you then to write the victim story. You know, my partner doesn't even care. They don't even listen to me. It's like they don't even think I'm worthy of love. No matter what I say, they never change. We can go on for a dissertation now, but I'll stop. And then I ask you to rewrite the story in your head, like they're a hero. And that might be a little tricky because they weren't a hero about making me feel lit up on my birthday, which by the way, I'll work with your partner and help them with that to do better. But it might be, my person is so patient and so amazing in so many ways. And you know, 
I actually even appreciate they've listened to me whine about my birthday all these years. And I know they're just not that creative. And I know they're not great at special occasions. And I know that they think every day should be special. And they do randomly do really nice things for me. And I'm so damn lucky to have this person who's a great parent, who's hilarious, who also likes watching insert ridiculous TV show here. I don't know. My sister's into one called The Golden Bachelor that's apparently really cute. And so you rewrite the story. Now, I do not mean, because again, we're talking about big things in a shorthand format. I don't mean ignore your needs. I don't mean give up on your birthday. I don't even mean let your partner off the hook for disappointing you in a way that is actually creating a fair bit of pain for you. I mean, in that moment, we can spin the story, feed the flames of the story of victimhood and not being loved and having a really thoughtless hunk of you know what as a partner. Or we can rewrite and say, hey, mind, let's let's recast this in a reasonable light. Like the, the news story isn't fanciful. It's, you know, they're really great in these other ways. What that can do is can literally change your biophysiology, calm your heart rate. You'd understand all this kind of less cortisol, activate the parasympathetic system. So there's more calm down. And then maybe in a couple of days you sit down and you do a really deep conversation around, hey, babe, this is what would mean the world to me around my birthday. And is there a way we can collaborate one great piece of advice is get your spouse, your partner to crowdsource your friends. Like if they suck at this, I did, used to do this for my friend, Lucia. Her husband was like, he was like, here's an iron honey. And he was really lit up and proud and thought he'd done the greatest thing. And she wasn't very happy. So I, I was like, Michael, bud, j just call me. We're good. He's like, really? I'm like, call me. I'll, you know, every year you'll be a rock star. He's like, thank <laughs> you. <laughs> right. But ultimately, if you're focusing on your partner to make you happy, you're doomed. You're doomed. From a Buddhist point of view or a sensible Western psychological point of view, anything we're relying on outside of ourself, our career, our financial stability, our house, our health, if we're counting on that as the cause of our happiness and all these things are unstable, all these things can change at any moment, sometimes dramatically and tragically. Those are the wake-up calls then it means ipso facto using our intelligence. If I'm happy because of my relationship, if I'm happy because of my house and my career, I'm on a very unstable ground. I want to be happy because of my interior strength, flexibility, and heart. And then I very much want all of us to have great relationships, great homes, and great careers. But in, in Buddhist psychology, it is so ultimately simple. You can be absolutely miserable in the best circumstances, and you can be absolutely happy, fulfilled, content, and joyful in terrible circumstances. It's, it's an inside job. It's within. It's within. Wow. Hey, my friend, could you do me a quick favor? Could you subscribe and leave a review for this podcast? It's a small thing. You could do it in line while waiting at the coffee shop. But listen, that support makes all the difference for new podcasts like this one. It would absolutely make my day to see your review. Thanks, dude. Oh, and back to the podcast. So um, I'm still a little bit, I'm a little bit stuck on this idea of letting go of wanting things to be different when some, and you said, but that's not to say that you should not have your needs met. You know what I mean? So I'm a little bit like, what are the, yep. what if you feel like, you know, I have some resistance to that, but like, but I deserve to have yep. my birthday celebrated. And, you know, maybe I'm revealing my own biases here, but <laughs> tell me, how does one get over those, those, that sense of, you know, but, but I deserve to have this kind of partner or yeah. it is a basic human right to be treated in a certain way and it's not happening. And I feel 
Like I want, I don't know, how do I let go of things that feel like absolute needs? Yep. It's a really smart question. And it's the obvious next step question. And I'm so glad you asked it because this can be misinterpreted as, and it's super not what I'm saying. And I know you didn't misinterpret it, but this can sound like, oh, be a martyr. My needs don't matter. Just be grateful for the hunk of whatever I have. That's not it. Uh, a much bigger view is ultimately that is it. Ultimately, if our partner uh, runs away with our sister, if our partner um, becomes an insane alcoholic and won't be in the family in any way, and you have to have them not be around your kids for their safety, that's also going to be you and your mind figuring out how to handle that. But Really, you've mentioned the book. The book is called Buddha's Bedroom because, as you know, and, and thank you for doing such great research, it combines Buddhist thinking with couples and sex therapy. What? Mm -hmm. I know. Crazy. <laughs> First book of its kind. And I tell you, it caused some ripples in the Buddhist community for a bit. They've come around now to realize how important this is. You think being alive is important? Anyway, got to love that. I digress a little bit. But here we go. But the larger teaching, like the big mind teaching is I'm happy or not happy based on my mind. That's some pretty sophisticated shit. Like that's the five months in the forest without talking to a human being, meditating 12 hours a day. And let me be super uber clear. I am so not finished yet. I am so far from being a fully awake being. Just ask my spouse, but please don't. It would embarrass me. <laughs> Although I'm, you know, whatever, do what you got to do. That's the Big ultimate teaching. I mean, let's say something really scary. If both your spouse and mine were killed in car accidents tonight, right? That has happened. We can't change that. You've got to show up for your children. We've got to show up for the other people affected. We've got to hold our heart with grace. And it's ultimately up to us how we handle it. All that being said, if that's all I taught, it wouldn't be very effective for people who aren't going to spend years meditating 12 hours a day. So that's the, that's like the big picture to help. Let's start with small stuff, picking the toenails. Can we get over that? We can. Repeatedly not celebrating my birthday, which has led to a lot of pain between us and a lot of resentment on your side. I want you to work on two levels. One is to learn to hold your own heart, maybe throw yourself the best goddamn birthday parties ever and invite your spouse. But also on the couple's level, I want to work with that couple to communicate more effectively about the, the birthday disconnect, to help the one that feels their own sense of, oh God, no, whatever I do, it's never good enough for them, or it's just not my thing. Why is it important to help them understand their partner's side of things and help them maybe do a better job of meeting those needs without torquing themselves into an inauthentic pretzel of themselves. Does that make sense? So you yeah. want to work on both. Being responsible for our own mind and happiness is 100 freaking percent my problem and my responsibility, but our relationship happiness can be really edified when we're both working to improve. However, I work with two people, not one. You probably generally work with solo clients, even if their spouse is on board to do your program. Yep. I got to have two people buying in to some degree, and I often have a very reluctant one and a very keen one. So it's very important that the one who's reluctant, they're usually reluctant for some well-earned reasons in their relationship history, that they don't feel like, would you just celebrate her birthday better, you dink? You know, totally. <laughs> it's also got to be maybe he, she needs to chill out about on the birthday and and maybe... I need to help the one where that's out of their comfort zone say, here's a few really practical things you can do. And what's really cool is return on investment. 
when we meet some of these needs reasonably well for our sweetheart, we're going with the birthday celebration analogy now, as you know, the return on investment can be extraordinary. Like your partner can feel so loved, so cherished, so special, and it doesn't take a bunch of money or a bunch of effort. One of the most beautiful gifts I've ever received was a written love letter, right? Right. Took maybe an hour and zero pennies and I still have it. And if someone's saying so. something to you, like my birthday is important, they're basically giving you a cheat sheet. They're saying, here's, yeah. here's the one thing you got to do to make me feel special. It's, uh, yeah, I'm yeah. it so easy for you. Um, yeah, yeah. Great return on investment. Do this and, 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 and I'm going to be happy and pleasant yeah. and we're going to have a great week. Totally. Okay. So, um, speaking of that conflict between, you know, one partner feeling, for example, keen to go to therapy, another one not, or one person being really big on birthdays, one person not, you tell a story about a couple who divorced overloading the dishwasher. So my question is, how can we see that our partner's side of the story isn't wrong? It's just different than the version that we are so attached to because it is 100% reality in our world. This podcast is made possible by Fit Feels Good, my online fitness and nutrition company. Here's what we do. I have so many incredible benefits from the MFA program. It literally changed my life. I have the book, Healthy AF. I'm absolutely in love with my life now. I find that the healthy habits that I built are amazing to go back to. The benefits that you're going to see as a woman in your 40s plus are things you could have never imagined. The key, which I know Una talks about over and over again, is loving your body now, not what you're envisioning it to be. Yes, thousand percent. So I teach an exercise um, that I don't have the clock with me right now, but what I used to do when I had couples come in person to this office, now my work's all in this online program. I find it a really effective way to help more couples more deeply. But what I used to do, and I still teach it in the program, of course, is you'd be sitting across from me with your sweetheart, right? And you'd be, you'd have a difference on an issue. We'll stick with this issue. And I'd say, okay, I really want to understand each person's point of view. So I would hold up a clock. It's a clock I was given, I think, when I got my PhD. And I would turn to you, Una, and I would hold up this clock. And I would say, pretend you're a Martian. You've never seen a clock before. So you can describe this object using any words you want except clock. And you're trying to help the person up in the spaceship understand what you're looking at. And you'd look at me like, I'm paying a bunch of money for this. Okay, weird blonde lady. And then you say, okay, well, I see an object. It looks like roughly four inches by six inches. It's kind of gold. It's shiny. It's got these sticky out bits pointing to numbers or sticks that I think in earth language they call Roman numerals. And I go, you're a genius, Una, 100%. You're completely right. Then I turn to your sweetheart. I turn the clock to the other side. He's looking at the same object, obviously from a different perspective. And I say, okay, bud, uh, tell me what you see. Same rules apply. He goes, okay, it's a black object. It seems to have six sides. There's a couple of round dials or switches on the back. And it's got this kind of kickstand thing sticking out from it. I say, great. A plus for you, my friend. Who's right? And generally the couple laughs and they say either, well, we're both right or neither of us is right. It's such a simple technique, but I share it here because it's one of the most powerful things I teach. And it's one of the things that I get the most feedback on that was a game changer for couples because I then go on to say, so when you're arguing in this case about birthday perspectives, you literally are not able to see your partner's side of the clock. You, you're not able to, and it's not your fault. It's not because you're dumb. You have different histories, programmings, et cetera, et cetera. 
So the only way for me to see your gold Roman numeral thing and for you to see my black thing with dailies and a kickstand is to say, babe, tell me what you see. I don't understand. I can't see it. And then to do some real good mindful listening. Will you deeply explain about the birthday and how your parents always blew off your birthday and all the things and how you had a previous partner that celebrated your birthdays as a big deal and it meant the world to you and you know it's not that big of a deal and you feel a little immature for it being such a big deal, but it still is. And it just is one day a year that it helps you feel really loved. And then your partner hopefully gets that your side is gold and has Roman numerals on it. And it's really difficult for them to see it that way, but they can see that you see it that way. Mm -hmm. So that's where we get to the, your partner's not wrong, just different. There's actually nothing wrong with thinking birthdays are a silly waste of time. Nothing wrong with that point. It's perfectly legit. But as people who love each other, who see this differently, can we find a reasonable compromise that doesn't leave one of us feeling we've really sacrificed our soul, hence reasonable compromise, to cut to the chase, would it really kill you to celebrate the birthday for your sweetie if it's great return on investment? It doesn't mean you're letting down your moral code, I don't think. Right. So I hope that answered the question to some degree. Is it's really so you're hearing that and I think what makes my work maybe a bit different is there's stealth Buddhism in it. <laughs> right. In the book, there's overt Buddhism, Buddhist thinking, working with your own mind, taking responsibility. But in the online program and when I work with couples, I don't talk about it this much, but it's just it's in there in the other side of the clock technique. Right. There's my mind story of what this situation is. And there's your mind story and neither of them are entirely accurate. What do we do? How do we love through this? You know, mm, how do I remember question. I care about you? How do I remember life is effing short? I just had a friend who accessed the, the medical assistance in dying program a, a year, a week ago, four years ago, he was told stage four prostate cancer. And he spent four years laughing, loving, being with his family, adoring his lovely wife. And he just left the planet. We don't know how long we've got. I don't want my last day to have gone, Oh yeah, I've been treating my partner kind of like shit for the last two weeks. And now they're suddenly gone. Yeah. caveat i do treat my partner kind of like shit sometimes i'm a human being <laughs> as we but all do I clean it up and i'm really good at apologizing we're really good at repairing and coming back into love and we don't leave the house disconnected if we leave the house disconnected because there's been an unskillful argument we still hug and have a moment even if it's partly deliberately done because we know we want to even if we're not fully back into heart openness we will still Great. I had a patient, um, I saw her for a car accident um, for her own work around chronic pain for a while. And then I saw her and her hubby for uh, about six months, a bunch of years ago. And she came back to me half a dozen years later with some more of her own issues. And during that time, her beloved husband, they were only in their 40s, two young kids, he was killed in a car accident, on, a single car accident on black ice going to work. And she said, you know, Cheryl, it still brings tears. You know, Cheryl, we had our crappy repeating argument that morning. Oh, yeah. The last words we said were unkind and ugly. And I was sort of like, whatever, get out of here. We'll see you later. Like, piss off. That wasn't, thank goodness, anything to do with the accident. It was a completely freak black ice thing. But she says, the last things I ever said to him were, were our like ugly repeating pattern. And that could be any of us, right? Yeah. So I try to, at the very least, even if it's somewhat artificial to come and go, right now I'm super furious, but I do love you. 
and we can talk later and let's have a quick hug. Like just that choosing that. And Cheryl, is that why you do that before anyone leaves the house versus I, you always hear don't go to bed angry, but you're saying don't let anyone leave the house angry. Is it because of that? You never know. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I was able to, I had the honor to offer the program last year to a hundred RCMP police officers and their spouses, wow. the couples program. And this was during the time you'll know as a BC native now, uh, there was a horrifying shooting on Vancouver Island in Saanich and several officers were very, very uh, almost fatally wounded. And it's very unusual in our neck of the woods. Right. So I had a hundred police officers in this program with me and I wrote an email as soon as I heard to them all saying, did you say I love you before your sweetheart left the house today? Like some of my officers in the program were on the scene doing um, hostage negotiation at risk. And that's a graphic example, but it could be any of us, black ice, a work-related injury. So even when you're angry, hurt, flooded, shut down, and in really a bad state, and you can't snap your fingers and feel better right now, you can still say, yeah. I'm really shut down and freaked out right now, but know that I love you and we will be okay. I love that phrase. We will be okay. I love it too. Because our history shows us we are eventually okay that day, the next day, et cetera, right? And can I just bust the don't go to go don't go to bed mad thing? Because oh, I hate that phrase. Yeah. yeah. Freaking throw that out the window. It was your grandparents' bad advice. It's well-intentioned, but what happens? We know this. What happens if we're trying not to go to bed mad is we Fight argue till three in the morning in a circular, flooded, irrational argument that we're both you know, stuck into our positions and we're getting nowhere and we're bringing in all the kitchen sinks in the history of ever. What I teach people to do is is to actually do something like what we just said. Like We're really upset. We're not going to resolve this tonight. I love you and we're going to be okay. And then for my, in, in my relationship, and I have permission to share this story. If we're not great in an, of an evening and Miss Cheryl's overworked and underslept and kind of freaking out and not rational because he's perfect almost. We actually have uh, on occasion um, hugged and said, we're not going to sort this tonight. Like, I know I need to stop talking. I know I'm flooded and irrational. And I've actually, we've got a deal where he will sometimes sleep in the other room because when we're upset like that, he can fall asleep. His defense mechanism, which I admire, is he just passes out. I will lie awake vibrating all night next to him because of my physiology tends to, to go towards fight or flight towards the fight frazzled side and his goes to kind of like exhaustion side. So on occasion, maybe once a year or, or, or something, and not even because the argument itself was very bad. I say to him, you know, hon, I don't think I'll be able to sleep tonight unless I'm solo. And we have an agreement and a deep understanding that that's an act of love. And we hug, we might kiss goodnight. He'll go sleep in the other room. I know you're all asking, why don't I go in the other room? Because I want to stay in the $10,000 bed. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just keeping it real. I don't want to be on the futon. Okay. Call me a princess. Just saying, don't judge me. So, but we have an extra deal, which is whoever wakes up first immediately goes to the other person's bed and we snuggle again. Wow. But that means I sleep for six or seven hours instead of maybe getting two hours sleep. Right. Or replaying the fight you in your know, head all night long and making it and worse. And maybe coming up with your waking next up one exhausted. Liner. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then potentially um, being in no state to be rational the next morning because you're now frazzled on lack of sleep. So I'm just putting out there, 
I love the spirit of don't go to bed mad, but I'd prefer to say don't go to bed without connecting and postponing this until you can talk about it kindly and acknowledging right now one or both of you is really upset. That is a massive act of love and massive skill. I like that so much. Um, Cheryl, I want to ask you about the secret soulmate fantasy that we all have and why it's so harmful. Okay. When I was a little girl, the love of my life was Sean Cassidy. To do Ron Ron, the world's sexiest hardy boy. You're not as old as me, but that was the TV show of all time when I was a kid. Who is yours? Who is your first big crush? Oh, Alex P. Keaton, Family Ties. Oh, yeah. I still oh, have a thing for Michael J. Fox. Choice. Class, yeah. class choice. I gotta yeah. say, gotta say, I'll take him over Sean, but hey, whatever. I was young. So I was convinced, slightly embarrassing, but for the edification of all, I will share this that. Sean Cassidy would come to Vancouver Island to my little logging town and sweep me off my feet and take me to Beverly Hills. As he should. And I would live happily ever after. <laughs> I think it's Well, the bastard didn't get the memo. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert, didn't happen. There was an email back then. Must have got lost in the mail. But I was obsessed with this fantasy, for real. I wrote these long, they'd call them fan fiction now, I guess. And thank goodness there was no internet out there. So none of you can Google them. I am so grateful. But I wrote these handwritten things like these and sex. I was having sex with Sean. I was a virgin, but I had a great imagination. And it was all out there. And I was obsessed with him. My dad says I broke into hives once when the Hardy Boy show started. So there you go. It's funny, right? Alex P. Keaton, Sean Cassidy, the Hardy Boy. But honestly, in our 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and beyond, we still tend to carry a subconscious template of the perfect partner. And I am fond of saying, kill the soulmate and save your relationship. Because, right, my soulmate does not pick his toenails while watching Game of Thrones. Does yours? Oh, no. I very much doubt it. (laughs) (laughs) No. So, I mean, it's a silly example, but it's actually a very dangerous trend that our idle mind, our subconscious mind, and our conscious mind can get into when we're discontented, when we're lonely, is... You know, they're great in various ways, but they really aren't romantic or they really don't value um, the spirituality the way I do. Or, you know, they are really obsessed with mountain biking and they're not as interested in going to the arts with me. Or we don't communicate that well. They, they don't seem to have a lot of self-awareness and the ability to express their emotions. The point is, uh, we all know about the negativity bias. And if you don't, it's the mind's tendency to seek for things that are out of place or are wrong or off kilter. This is incredibly helpful in the cave people days, because in the cave days, if you got out of your cave and you were all like Zen and happy and all high on your salt spring yoga and everything, <laughs> and you walked out and you just stretched to enjoy the beautiful sunrise of this beautiful day, you were killed halfway through that thought by, I don't know what, saber-toothed tigers, insert correct historical animal that would eat you in cave days here. You needed a mind that you stuck your head out of that cave, scanning for what was wrong, scanning for what was missing, what shouldn't be there, something out of place, something that could kill you. So in our relationship, if we allow our mind to do this, it scans for what's wrong with our relationship, what's wrong with our partner, what's missing and what's lacking. Now, we also probably know you got a pretty informed um, and wise audience that what you focus on expands to some degree, bit of a slogan, but it speaks to a psychological principle is where we attend tends to become more powerful in our consciousness than what we don't. Perfect example. A lot of people have heard this one. You're thinking of buying a new car and you're thinking I might want a Lexus, blah, blah, blah. 
you'll suddenly start noticing that particular style of car everywhere you go, right? Because it's front of mind, the mind seeking for something. You'll notice it. There was just as many, what did I say? Lexuses, blah, blah, blahs before I decided I might want to purchase one, but I wasn't noticing them. So when you start noticing and focusing on the things that are missing in your spouse, in your biased view, your things that are missing in your relationship, they will multiply in terms of their intensity in your mind. So the way I teach this is, first of all, kill the soulmate, save your relationship means, and it's a bit of a oversimplified concept, but a powerful one. I actually ask people, all your listeners can do this, to write the top 10 list of the 10 most important qualities you want and need and desire in your partner and your relationship. And I actually say, you know, first of all, write everything you can think of, even ridiculous fun stuff like, I would like them to have a villa in France we could go to. Put that on there. Get them all on there. And then whittle it down to the top 10, the actual core needs and desires. Chances are the beautifully imperfect person we've chosen to try to walk long-term through life with has roughly seven out of 10 of those 10 things. So how happy are you, Una, when you focus on the seven? really happy. How happy are you when you focus on the three that are missing? And this is why the soulmate myth, because let's say your partner really struggles to be a deep and, and, and introspective communicator. And you and I probably value that a heck of a lot. It's who I am in the world. It's how I am with my friends. Like I love introspection, not navel gazing for the sake of weird self-referencing, but knowledge like self-reflection, emotional intelligence, sharing that. Let's say you love someone who's that's not their superpower. The more you focus on that, the more the little thought's going to creep in. You know, my friend Jake or Janice is at work. They're so great at that. I find it so attractive that he, she can talk to me about anything. And it really is quite dangerous where we start focusing on what we don't have. We'll notice, I want, I want a, a Lexus and I'm married to a Honda. You'll notice the Lexus is everywhere. And yeah, I am implying and I'll make explicit. This is one of the most common causes of affairs of emotional or sexual betrayal is being lit up by someone who it feels like are bringing something to you. You're not getting at home. And usually it's interest. I find you interesting. I want to hear your stories. I want to learn about you. It's very rarely from the waist down. Like I just want a really good boink. Uh, it can be, but it's much more. Most of the post-affair couples I work with, I work with beautiful men and women, gay, straight, queer, who I'll have the person who's been the betrayer on my couch sobbing and saying, Cheryl, I'm the least likely person in my entire friendship circle to have ever strayed or betrayed my partner. I don't agree with it. I actually wrote off a friend of mine uh, five years ago and he or she had an affair. I was so scandalized and disgusted by their choice. I've done it and I'm not exactly sure how it happened. I said, well, that's what we have to figure out. And it usually starts with you meet someone who's nice and you chat and it's innocent. And it's interesting and you enjoy talking and you share ideas. Maybe you both love extreme skiing or whatever. It often starts out so simply. It starts out like it started out for you and your guy and me and my guy when we were dating. Interest, sharing stories. So that's why circling back to almost where we began is, you know, romancing your person, making sure they know you appreciate them, getting your lazy butt off the couch and going to throw your arms around them when they walk in the door. You know, just saying, hey, perfectly imperfect person, I adore you. I'm going to focus on the seven, not the three. 
I know you've helped couples from wanting to have a divorce to falling back in love. If you, if there's people listening right now who are feeling like their marriage might be on the brink, is there anything you can tell them right now to give them hope? Wow. First of all, kind of a two-part answer. One is there is always hope as long as one person is willing to see if it's possible to improve. There's a fair bit of hope even if one person is 90% sure they want out. If the second person has, maybe I'm willing to try it one more time, there's hope. Now, that being said, I have zero moral, ethical, psychological, religious, or any other opposition to divorce or breaking up. Sometimes it's a healthy, wonderful choice. So the second part, the caveat is, if there's uh, ongoing abuse of any kind that is not being looked at, that the person refuses to take any ownership for or get help with, if there's a flat refusal to participate in any kind of behavior change, be that my program, be that therapy, be that a personal growth weekend, a men's weekend, a women's weekend, if there's a flat refusal over and over to look at one's own part in something in your partner, it may be a bit of a lost cause. But even there, Una, I've had the privilege to walk, watch couples that were in that bad of a shape turn it around. And um, there's a couple called Karen and Howard. They've been on my podcast, and that's the real names that I have permission to use. And they were together, I think, 32 years. And he announced from her perspective, from her side of the clock, right out of the blue that he wanted a divorce. And she said she bawled her guts out for two days while he stayed upstairs in the house and she stayed downstairs. And then she said to him, no, I'm not going to give you a divorce yet. We're worth more than that. I want to work on this. And he wasn't at all sure. He felt he was really done. And so he moved out for six months, but they started to go to a bit of counseling and they were in text contact. And then um, I think she found me on the, my podcast or something and they um, watched one of my pieces and they decided to take the Become Passion program. And they do a beautiful testimonial about um, how they'd never heard of the three keys to passion. And he'd realized he was a really poor communicator. They were both career chemists. He said he was a great communicator at work and realized he is not communicating to his wife. He had not told her what he was unhappy about, what he was longing for. He kind of figured she should know. And they did absolutely remarkable work. And right now I'm running a, a challenge for the couples in my, my ongoing long-term month-to-month program after they do the big program, if they want to continue working together. And I'm running a holiday date challenge. We're recording this uh, close to the holiday season, right? And I gave them thir- the 13 days of holiday passion. And there's these challenges I've asked them to do, like go to a holiday themed concert or, you know, um, bake holiday cookies, take them to all your friends and then, you know, eat them naked in bed and <laughs> lick the crumbs off each other or whatever craziness I come up with. Well, they posted in our little uh, shared meeting place. They went to a holiday symphony concert and Howard bid on and won a, a silent auction where someone got to go stand up there with the symphony and play the, I don't know what it's called, but it's, it's like a clacker <sighs> thing. It has yeah, a yeah. name that I, I can't call about. to mind. And so there's a video of his wife up there and it's like the beautiful symphony doing whatever <laughs> the Messiah's thing or whatever. And then there's a part where she gets to go like, donka, 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 donka <laughs> with her little clacker thing. And he, he like, it was like, it was like he was watching his little child in their first ever Christmas concert. And he was like, beaming with pride at this beautiful thing. And she was all dressed up and they're they're in their sixties or whatever. And I'm like, that's a love story from I want a divorce to look at my woman up there playing with the symphony (laughs) clacker thing. 
in our Christmas holiday date, right? So yes, it's possible. But I also don't want to minimize the unbelievable pain, loneliness and despair. And the, one of the toughest things for me, Una, when I um, teach the free classes I teach is people saying, I would love to do this. My partner flatly refuses, flatly refuses. And sometimes if I can meet the partner or they can watch some of my work, because I'm pretty down to earth. If it's a heterosexual male partner, they often find they can resonate with my style because I think like you, it's pretty straightforward. Sometimes if there's a crack, if there's a crack of a possibility, which Howard had, he didn't know he had it till she said, no, we're worth more than this. Will you give it six months to at least see? And there was enough of a crack, but he said, I did not think it was going to work. I was basically just doing it for her because I didn't want to be cruel. And they're in love now. So there's hope. And there's also learnings so you can let go more graciously and more fairly if you are splitting. One of the nicer feedbacks I get on occasion is people who do the three months online program with me. And then they write and say, you know, we just want to thank you for the program. We actually have decided to go our separate ways, but the program really helped us get clarity on that. And we're being much more fair about it because we understand each other so much better. And I think that's a win. Oh, that too. is a win. Yeah. yeah. So I know people are going yeah. to want to learn more from you, Cheryl, but what can they do besides going to the Northern Ontario wilderness and chopping wood? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, they're welcome to come, but I can't talk to them. You know, I'm not allowed to talk. Um, absolutely. Well, website, drcherylfraser.com. I have a podcast, Sex, Love, and Elephants, which I'm going to have the pleasure of having you guest on soon. And um, what I would love people to do, because it's all academic till you apply it to yourself, is I have a quiz called the Passion Quiz. It takes under 10 minutes. And we can put a link to that under the show here. And you can rate your relationship currently, and it gives you a score on how well you're doing in those three areas of what I call the passion triangle, the intimacy side, the thrill side, and the sensuality side. Because if we're going to change any behavior, as you well know, weigh and measure, baby. Like, let's see where we're at. Let's look at the bald facts and then say, okay, do we want to work on improving this? And then, you know, podcast, et cetera. I send out weekly love bites. They can sign up for those on my website. And if they're interested in the program, we'll put a link to the wait list below. I'll be offering it once this year in 2024. Uh, we'll be opening the doors in April for a couple of weeks and kicking off right at the end of April. People can learn a little bit about it. If they get on the wait list, it's kind of cool because we do some VIP stuff and they get a few free Zoom classes with me before we get to the actual program. So yeah, but mainly whatever you do, whether I'm your flavor or not, everybody, please don't take your relationship for granted. Please don't expect it to nurture itself without some energy, without you putting some time into it. Find something that works for you to help you, as I say, make love intentional. I love it. Dr. Cheryl Fraser, thank you so, so much for being yeah. on the show. I've learned so much. Thank you. It's been a delight. And thank you for everything you do for the fitness of the world and the planet and people's hearts and minds. I mean, it's so important. Um, it's really a precious resource. Thank you. Okay, I'll be honest. I didn't even get to a quarter of the questions that I had for Dr. Cheryl, including most of the ones about sex. So I think I'm going to have to have her back for another show. But let me know what you think. DM me on Instagram or leave a review and let me know what content is helping you feel like you're moving towards your goals, helping you get some grit or helping you connect to the woo-woo shit that is life. I would love to know. So until then, see you next week. 
Hey dude, thanks for listening. If you like this episode, make sure you're subscribed so you can get the next one. And by the way, if you rate and review this podcast, it really helps me get found by other people who need some goals, grit, and some woo-woo shit. And be sure to connect and DM me at Una Duncan on Instagram and let me know what you thought of the episode. Chat soon.